0: Oscar goes to
1: The Oscar goes to The Oscar goes to And the Oscar
0: goes to The Oscar goes to And the Oscar goes to And the Oscar goes to And the Oscar goes to, and the Oscar goes to. Slumdog Billionaire. An American Empire
1: Platoon Birdman
0: Carriots of Fire
1: Driving Miss Daisy Forrest Gump From here to eternity D.G. i Gandhi. And I'm Tom Jones Ben Hur. Brave. American Beauty. The in the heat of the night, midnight cowboy.
0: Welcome to the House of Cinema podcast, and in the house today, doing something a little bit different, as you can tell by the title. Today's episode is not a deep dive into any particular movie, but instead we are discussing our top five Best Picture winners from the year 2000 and onward in preparation for the Oscar nominees that will be announced on Monday. And today, joining me is Dakota Arsenault from the ContraZoom podcast.
1: Dakota, please say hi. Hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: Now, Dakota and I have done a podcast in the past. I joined his show, and we sat there and discussed the top 10 Fincher films when Mank was uh, being released. Now he is joining uh, me on our podcast to discuss our top five Best Picture winners. Now, Dakota, I have to know, how hard was it for you to put
1: together this list? Well, actually, it was kind of easy because I've already kind of done the work. On my show, basically since the very first episode, uh, I did a decade-by-decade chunk of the oscar best picture winners where i would take the first 10 winners and then would rank them kind of like the way we did the fincher episode but basically only against themselves but the whole time i was doing this i basically had an ongoing spreadsheet where i was keeping track of my ranking so every decade i would just be able to plug in the new rankings so when we were talking about this i already had my list ready oh okay all right well you're way more
0: prepared than i was i sat here. Saturday morning, agonizing, debating, debating, trying to figure out what I wanted in my number one spot, number five spot. You know, actually, figuring out my number one spot was easy. It was figuring out like five and four that I found kind Mm. of difficult. But I'm glad you're prepared. I am now prepared to talk about it. But before we begin, we have a tradition of doing a quick icebreaker with our guests. The first question for you, Dakota, what is your most rewatched movie? And I always like to clarify, it doesn't mean it has to be a great movie. It could be something not so great, something fun, something sad.
1: But I want to know what your most rewatched movie of all time is. You know, I was I was thinking about this. I was listening to your last episode, and uh, I thought the responses there were, were kind of fun. Uh, and I was thinking about it, you know, if you had asked me when I was younger, when I was a teenager, my answer probably would have been something like Gone in 60 Seconds, which is... Oh, awesomely bad movie. <laughs> You know, it's funny because growing up, uh, I'm in Canada, we did get uh, TBS. And for some reason, that movie was always on TBS. Don't know why. And so (laughs) it was just one of those movies where, you know, the car sequences are so cool. And Nicolas Cage is, you know, just the right amount of badass. And Angelina Jolie at like peak smoke and hotness. It just kind of had everything that like. 13 14 year old me was super into and so anytime it would come on even if it was only you know like half an hour before dinner i'd watch that or you know if it was it finished my homework turn that on oh here we'll catch the the end chase sequence things like that <laughs> but you know what i don't think i've seen the movie since i left high school and i if you asked me to explain the plot i don't think i could oh interesting yeah yeah all i remember about
0: this movie Memphis Reigns, that's a pretty iconic name, and that's and I remember certain scenes from the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. But now if you're asking, my probably likely one, which is probably much more boring, uh, is probably something like The Life Aquatic of Steve Zissou or uh Scott Pilgrim versus the World. And those are two great movies. I just watched Rushmore this morning. Had a lot of fun
0: rewatching that. And uh, I think Life Aquatic's pretty good. Maybe on the lower end of the Wes Anderson filmography, but Maybe we'll have to have a Wes Anderson episode together. I have I have a really
1: weird, super soft spot for that movie. I I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is probably his best one, but for some reason, Life Aquatic is the one I just go back to time and time again. That, that style of humor that's even pretty out there for most of Wes Anderson movies just really speaks to me.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people have a personal connection with Life Aquatic, and that's why people love it. It definitely is a polarizing movie in terms of people either really love it or people are just not really a big fan of it. I'm I'm more in the camp of I, I'd really like it. It's just hard because Wes Anderson has so many great movies. But mm-hmm. my second question for you, what is
1: one of your most controversial or hottest film takes? You know, I, I feel like I'm the type of person that doesn't really have a lot of hot takes. I'm pretty mild with my takes. I like just about everything. And so th- this take is... Probably is going to seem a little blasphemous, especially since I know both you and Ren enjoy this. Uh, I liked Parasite. I do not think it was the best picture worthy of last year. In fact, there's four movies that I think were better than it last year. Wow. All right. And I still like it. I still like it. I still think it was a (laughs) very, very good movie, which like I know I have to keep couching that statement. It was still a very good movie. Yeah, that's
0: fair. Okay, <laughs> to each their own. This will lead to a very interesting conversation in uh, in the next couple minutes, I'm sure. Um, perfect. Well, like I mentioned earlier, the Oscar nominations come out tomorrow. Or, I'm sorry, Monday, March fifteenth. Um, I'm excited. I know you're excited as well. We both, you know, kind of run that gamut of trying to watch everything as possible to be prepared to make very informed decisions, as you know we should. Without further ado. Let's jump into our top five Best Pictures winners from the year 2000 and onward.
1: Dakota, you are our guest. Please start us off. What is your number five pick? My number five pick is going to be 12 Years a Slave, which was the Steve McQueen movie. Came out in 2013, won in 2014. Uh, which is about the story of Solomon Northup, who is a free black man from upstate New York who was abducted and stole, sold into slavery for 12 years. And then after, once he managed to uh, get his freedom, he wrote a autobiography about his time as a slave. Do I upset the master and the mistress? Do you care less about my loss than, than their well-being? Master Ford is a decent man. He is a slaver. Under the circumstances. Under the circumstances, he is a slaver. But you truckle at his boot. No.
0: You luxuriate in his favor. I survive. I will not fall into despair. I will offer up my talents to Master Ford. I will keep myself hardy till freedom is opportunity. Oh,
1: Ford is your opportunity. You think he does not know that you are more than you suggest? But he does nothing for you. Nothing. You are no better than prized livestock. This is the type of movie that, you know. I love I adore the filmmaking is fantastic but if you're if you're asking me what movie I want to watch this is probably near the bottom of my list this is such <laughs> an intense yes heartbreaking difficult watch of a film you know specifically there's this one scene in particular where after um solomon who's played by chew it all is being you know um punished by his owners where he basically has a noose hanging around his neck and he isn't properly strung up to be lynched but he's standing there on his tippy toes and it's a solid take of an unmoving camera for what feels like several minutes and it's just, you hear him grunting and crying, and then people in the background are going about their own business. Like, that just absolutely, like, breaks my heart, and it's so impossible to watch this movie because of of sequences like that. But, you know, all that said, Steve McQueen has such an incredible sense of direction that shows both the absolute beauty that, you know, the the South of the U.S. has to offer, while also showing the absolute rot in uh, despair in the darkest recess of American history with some very incredible performances from edge of four from Michael Fassbender as this very cruel slave owner uh, from um, Lupita Nyong'o, who I believe also one supporting actress and it goes on and on and on. This is the type of movie where there's like 20 plus A-list names in this movie of really solid actors. And so it's, it's one that I, I, I feel very highly of even if it's one that I really don't want to watch again. And then if you want, I could kind of name some of the movies it, it beat at the time, if you want me to. Yeah, go ahead. Sure, yeah. Some of the ones it was, it was up against were uh, Dallas Buyers Club, Captain Phillips, Gravity, The Wolf of Wall Street, Nebraska, Her, Philomena, and American Hustle. Some pretty good movies in this list. It is, you know, this is a capital I important movie, and I think it, it very rightfully deserved to win.
0: I think you put everything very excellently and eloquently Um Spoiler alert, this was also on my list. I put it at my number four spot, so when I get to my point, you said everything I kind of wanted to say, uh, probably better than I would say it myself. This is a capital I, very important film. And like you, I think I've seen it twice, and I haven't seen it in the last uh, maybe three or four years because it is a very taxing watch. It's not easy to watch. Not because it's bad anyway, it's just because it's the harsh reality that... You know this country went through at one point and it doesn't hold back and that's why it's so good when I look at the list it was competing against I always like to think right hey, well who deserved to win versus who I wanted to win I may have enjoyed some of these other movies you I know mean, I enjoy Wolf of Wall Street I enjoyed uh, her a lot and I enjoyed Dallas Buyers Club but when I think about who should have won this category that year? I don't. There's no not a doubt in my mind that Twelve Years a Slave was the deserved winner for that year. I'm curious. Do you think
1: there are any other movies that deserved it over Twelve Years a Slave from this group? It's it's tough. Like I, if we're you know looking at the Oscars as this idea of what is preserving film culture, what is you know the movie that best encapsulated the year, what is the height of filmmaking, all of these sort of different metrics that you can conceivably award the best picture award to. Mm-hmm. I think 12 years of slave checks off all of those boxes like you, some of these other ones I, I really love and would very much put them on before them. Her, especially for, you know, walking Phoenix's performance is just so quirky and interesting and a, and a, and a great way to kind of look at what is the near future. Captain Phillips, I think even has a really great, fantastic performance by Tom Hanks. One of his best of his career. I would, I would go as far to say, especially that end sequence of his, but uh but yeah, out of all of these, I am I'm very happy that twelve years won.
0: If you take out twelve years of slave, let's say it comes out two years later, two years earlier, what's your next runner up? Who do you who do you pick from this group that's not twelve years of slave? Uh, I'd
1: probably go her. Um Wow. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably okay. go her. Yeah, I, I like I like Wolf of Wall Street, but I don't love it.
0: Okay. Okay. I, I also love her a lot. Wolf of Wall Street I'm very fond of. Although it gets a lot of um not hate, but it's become kind of categorized with, you know, Fight Club and other film bro movies that it's kind of being like, oh, people relegate it to towards that group. So I, I feel almost like guilty for saying Wolf of Wall Street should be the next winner. I like her a lot. Definitely one of the more unique stories that we have not seen in, you know, quite a while, especially considering it comes out in twenty thirteen, you know, we're in the height of the you know, the the AI, the iOS boom, you know, people are on their phones constantly. So I feel like it really translates really well to the the era that we live in now. So uh, I'm I'm on board with her. I like that. I like that. What about you? What's your number five pick? So I'm going to start our list off super hot, maybe a little controversial, but coming at number five for me, is going to be the 2017 film Shape of Water. Came out in 2017 and won the 2018 Academy Awards. Quick synopsis. It's a top-secret research facility in the 1960s, a lonely janitor forms a unique relationship with an amphibious creature that is being held in captivity. Now, if I just said that synopsis alone, you would be like, that's the Best Picture winner. But yes, that was the Best Picture winner. Shape of Water competed against Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. The Shape of Water is a movie that... I don't know if we'll ever see a movie like this again win Best Picture. And I don't think we've ever seen... We've seen some movies close to it, but not to this degree of just pure fantasy romance where you tell somebody, a normal, you know, average Joe walking on the street, hey, this movie's about a girl who falls in love with a merman. Oh, and it won Best Picture. I think you would shock a lot of people. But I think that... Because this movie is so different. You know, I, I love the 12 Years of Slaves. And I love the hard-hitting dramas and, and biopics. Or, sorry, biopics. I love them all. But this was just so different. It was such a breath of fresh air that I, I I was so surprised by it. I was caught off guard by how much the romance between the amphibious creature and the main character in this movie. It actually works. I mean, for me, it works really well. I mean, I've I've seen a lot of romance movies in my lifetime, and I was caught off guard by how much this really works. I think it's a really tender and, and loving story, and I think all the performances in the movie are great. Michael Shannon's great. Um, Octavia Spencer's great. There's a lot of great performances that go along with this really fantastical idea, and I think just the fact that it's so different really strikes home for me, and that's why I tend to always just love it. But I'm
1: curious to know are you your Shape of Water feelings i love this movie it didn't make my cut but i do really love it i almost feel like you're selling it short this is clearly the fish sex movie yeah <laughs> okay i I was gonna go there but i was like maybe i'll be i'll
0: be tame thank you for going there yes that happens it's fish a sex. fish sex movie <laughs> it does happen
1: explicit fish sex yes <laughs> no yeah, i Taro really like it there. and yeah he totally did and i think that's what works so well to it i i saw it when it came out obviously and then i didn't rewatch it you know, I, that's the thing about me is I'm not a big rewatch guy, and, and mm. so when I'm, you know, when I'm talking about Life Aquatic is my most rewatched movie, it's probably at like five or six times. Like, okay. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just not a big rewatch guy. If I, if you say you can't watch this movie for a decade, I'd be like, really? That's all? Okay, that's easy. So I, I know I'm crazy like that. So a lot of these movies I'll watch once. And then because I was doing my best picture rankings decade by decade, when it came time to do this decade, this was the second time that I watched. It. And this was only, I think, last year that I ended up re-watching it. And I think the nice thing about it that I almost either forgot or maybe even overlooked, this movie is basically a fairy tale, but in like a very unique, dark, Guillermo del Toro way. But it totally is, you know... All these classic Disney fairy tale movies, princess movies, stuff like that—that that we grew up on as kids—it's been they've been making them for a hundred years now. That's what the shape of water is. The only difference is it's for adult audiences.
0: I completely agree. I, I love that what you said earlier is that I, what makes it so good. I think is because Del Toro doesn't hold back. I mean, he really just goes for it. I mean, we laugh about it right now, but there is a actual sex scene between this amphibious creature and this human, and I think because he's willing to take these risks it's what makes it so good we're actually believing there's a relationship between this woman and this creature Um, you know Del Toro has been typecast as a director who loves the fantastical and you know he admittedly does Uh, obviously Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy are two very popular films that involve a lot of mythical and fantastical creatures and Shape of Water is no different and it's just it takes a kind of cliche love story but puts it in, like you said, a very grim, dark 1960s era um, where we know there's a lot of espionage going on. It's, you know, Cold War era. And it uses that as just kind of like the context of a really interesting love story. You know, beyond the performances, I'm, I'm a big fan of soundtracks. I love the soundtrack to this movie. I constantly listen to it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I believe it also won the Oscar for Best Music that year. So I'm a big fan of Shape of Water and that's why it comes at my number five.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing that's also very unique about this is Octavia Spencer said in an interview about how the two main characters don't talk at all, so the people that get the most dialogue in this movie are a black woman and a gay man, and 1950s America are two people with the least amount of of voice available to them, and so that they were given so much time to be able to share their stories as well is what made this movie really unique. So let's jump into your number four. What's your number fourth pick? I've got The Departed. You soft fits. When I tell you to dump a body in the marsh, you dump them in the marsh. Not where some guy from John Hancock goes every Thursday to get a fucking job. Don't laugh! This ain't reality TV! From 2006... And directed by of course martin scorsese who finally won his best picture and best director oscar after so many classics but if you don't know about by now it's about an undercover cop and a mole in the police who attempt to identify one another while infiltrating an irish gang in south boston so this is a movie that's based on a japanese series called infernal affairs and it's basically just your traditional cat and mouse story you've got a good guy you've got a bad guy they've switched sides and they're trying to figure each other out while also trying to do what they're trying to do like it's it's crazy how much, you know, it takes to explain this, but as soon as you're watching it, you're right there. And I love the two lead performances between Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon. The two of them both do so well at being good guys who play bad guys and bad guys who play good guys, and you don't really know what's going on. And then, of course, like, you just run through the cast list and just got, like, all the iconic things that you want from a Scorsese movie. You've got Jack Nicholson at just about his wildest. You've got Mark Marky Mark is most F-bombist. You've got Martin <laughs> Sheen at, like, what you want from... From from the president, but also also as a cop and like it just goes on and on. Alec Baldwin shows up for a little bit. James Badge Dale's in there for a little bit. Like it's got a crazy cast going on in this. I love this movie. I think it's so funny. I think it hits super hard. The music is great, even if I'm shipping up to Boston is one of such an overplayed song. I say that because I hate watching Boston Red Sox play, and I hear it all the damn time when you watch them play. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's in this movie, and it just works so much. You're like, yeah, I'm pumped up. I'm ready to, you know, join the mob or join the cops or whatever.
0: <laughs> so when I said earlier I had a hard time with 5 and 4, it's because The Departed existed. And The Departed didn't make my list. It's on the short list of number 6, probably. So I'm glad you're bringing it up so we can get a chance to talk about it. I have a lot of fond memories of The Departed. I remember when it came out, I was excited to watch it. I remember it being kind of a, a big thing for me. You know, I was a little bit younger, I was just getting into movies. And so I, I, it was a big deal for me to watch this movie. I'll be honest, kind of like you, I don't think I've seen this movie in maybe six to seven years. It, it's been quite a long time. And then rewatching it, I mean, it's excellent. Like you said, it's your typical. Cat and Mouse, Gangsters, just great performances from everybody just firing off in all cylinders. I really do like it a lot. Um, But in terms of Scorsese movies, it kind of just falls a little bit short for me. Uh, I'm glad he won the Best Picture that year. I I can't even remember the nominees that year. Do you you have them written down? I'm curious to know who they
1: were. I do. It's uh, Letters from Iwo Jima, the Clint Eastwood Japanese film, The Queen, Babel, and Little Miss Sunshine. So not a very strong year overall. Nah, yeah. So
0: I remember looking at that list. I'm a huge fan of Little Miss Sunshine, a great, you know, black comedy that I really enjoy. But looking at that list, a very well-deserved win for Scorsese. Like you, yeah, the Dropkick Murphy song is a little overplayed. And uh, I remember it being a kind of a big deal that year. I remember, I think I had it on my iPod Nano or something. I listened to it a lot back then. But The Departed, I think when it, in terms of Scorsese movies, and I look at his filmography obviously has so many great movies in his filmography. It's hard for me to say that Departed is one of his best. And I think that's why I just found myself keeping it at number six rather than number five.
1: It's hard. You know, I haven't seen all of Scorsese's movies. Like, I've never seen Taxi Driver, which I know is, you know, get my, get my butt kicked in <laughs> film <laughs> it's okay. So, there are movies out there that every cinephile
0: every film buff... There's just always one iconic movie that they haven't seen. I I,
1: more than one always. So don't even worry about it. Taxi Driver in 2001. There you go. I I put it out there. I'm ripping the bandaid off. I have not seen those movies. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) If you're looking at Scorsese movies, he's got Goodfellas. He's got Raging Bull. He's got Casino. Depending on your feelings of Wolf of Wall Street, some people really idolize that movie. Gangs of New York. Like he's got so many classics. I know the the default narrative is like, and hey, it was a lifetime achievement award, but I truly believe the Departed was very deserving of its win. That doesn't mean that Raging Bull shouldn't have won Best Picture. It Correct. just means that the yeah. Departed also deserved it to me. Yes.
0: I think that's an excellent, excellent point to make. A lot of people do make the allegation that this win for the Departed was more of a, hey, sorry, we've messed up the couple of times that you were nominated and you should have won. And so they kind of gave it to him as a a gesture of appreciation. But I think that year, you know, we read off the nominees very quickly, but I don't know if any other contender was even serious enough to get to the level of Departed was. I, I enjoy Babel, but I don't think it's anywhere near as good as Departed. Like I said, I enjoy Little Miss Sunshine. I don't even think it's as good as Departed still in terms of what is best picture worthy. So I, I agree. I think that's definitely a deserved win for Scorsese that year. What do you got then? My number four was 12 Years a Slave. Not much to say there anymore. So let's move to quickly to number three. What is your number three pick for your best pictures list?
1: All right. Uh, I have another one that might be a little controversial because it seems to be, I don't know if forgotten or underappreciated, however people want to categorize it, but Spotlight, which is the Tom McCarthy movie... Which is the story about how the Boston Globe uncovered the massive scandal of child molestation cover-up within the local Catholic Archdiocese, shaking the entire Catholic Church to its core. Thank you.
0: The fact remains, a Boston priest abused 80 kids. We have a lawyer who says he can prove law knew about it, and we've written all of uh, two stories in the last six months. This strikes me as an essential story to a local paper. I think at the very least, uh, we have to go through those documents. The church will read that as
1: us suing them. So will everybody else. Good to know. You know, this is a movie where, like I, I said at the beginning there, a lot of people seem to either underappreciate it or are dismissive of it or forget that it exists completely. Like, I know a lot of people just seem to forget that it won Best Picture. I think this movie is so great because every once in a while, a movie comes along where it's about showing you the work, about what it takes to get things done and you rewatch this movie and you see the intense amount of work and dedication that these journalists have for their job of undercover of uncovering the truth in, you know, showing the world peeling back the curtains of bad things that are happening and how dedicated they all are. It just blows me away every time that I've seen, I think I've seen this movie about three times now and every time I'm just so impressed with it. It's, it's, you know, right up there with all the president's men of great journalism films for me.
0: So Spotlight, I'm really glad you brought Spotlight up. Didn't make my list, but like you, I really, really enjoy Spotlight. It's currently on Netflix in the United States. I'm not sure if Canada and the United States share libraries. I think they do, but I'm not really sure. But Spotlight's on Netflix, and it's one of those movies where I'm like scrolling through Netflix, and I get to Spotlight. You know how Netflix will show like a preview of the movie or a clip of the movie? Mm-hmm. I always, always stop and watch their three-minute clip, even though I've seen it a hundred times. I watched the three-minute clip Netflix gives you while you highlight and spotlight. Recently, I feel like I've really got in, gotten into journalism, courtroom drama-esque movies. Uh, I recently watched Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo. Really enjoyed that. Um, I watched Aaron Brockovich recently. Really enjoyed that. These movies, like you said, are about normal people. Doing the extraordinary, not because of not because of special talents or anything like that, but because of just hard grit and hard work, and exposing some type of evil or some type of corruption. I'm a huge fan of those kinds of movies, and Spotlight is kind of like one of those type of films. You know, like you said, All the President's Men, where it's just like about these group of, of journalists who are working so tirelessly to expose a corruption that is now become so infamous i love spotlight and i'm really glad you brought it up i love all the performances in that it's fun to see rachel mcadams in a more serious role rather than her cliche romantic comedy role which i also love but she's also very good in this so i'm glad she had her chance to be in something more serious i'm curious do you have have the nominees for spotlight so i'm curious to know what it went up against that
1: year uh so it was up against brooklyn room the martian bridge of spies mad max fury road the big short and the revenant I remember now why I did
0: not list it on my top five because I remember looking at this list and thinking, I love Spotlight, but Mad Max Fury Road to me is the best movie that year and I think deserve it of the Best Picture Award. So it kind of irked me that it lost. Not that Spotlight's bad. I just think Mad Max is the culmination of technical and acting. It's just everything you want in a good movie is in Mad Max Fury Road. I'm more curious now what you think. If Spotlight
1: wasn't on the list, what's your next pick? Well, my number one film from that year, if I'm remembering my list correctly, was The Big Short. I adore that film. Oh, okay, okay. Somewhat Mm -hmm. similar to, well, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's similar to Spotlight. It's a lot more fun. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a lot more fun. But that sort of similar concept of, you know, having a very large ensemble cast where it's about uncovering bits and pieces as time goes on until there's a big reveal.
0: Okay, Big Short is your next pick then? Okay. Mm-hmm. What, what are your Mad
1: Max feelings then? Because I feel like I'm alone now, my Mad Max love. No, 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 no. I, I really do love it, and I, I've been aching to rewatch it. I really do. I, I am quite a fan of it. Uh, and you know what? Another movie that gets forgotten in this list is Brooklyn. Uh, very oh, yeah. underrated, little romantic drama. I watched Brooklyn for the first time maybe a year and a
0: half ago. I have this uh, movie jar where... I have about like eh, about two or 300 pieces of paper in there with movies on it. And my girlfriend and I will pick one if we're stuck in a rut or something. We can't figure out what to watch. And we chose Brooklyn out of the jar. I was very hesitant going into it thinking, do I really want to watch this? And then I watched it and I was pleasantly surprised by how much I loved that movie. So I'm also a big Brooklyn fan.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty sweet little one. Pretty harmless, but a, a good one nonetheless. So for my number three
0: spot, I'm moving into some... Iconic territory for what I believe to be some of the best best picture movies, but in my number three spot, I have the 2016 film Moonlight.
1: Let your head rest in my hand. Relax. I got you. I promise. I'm not gonna let you go. Hey, man. I got you. There you go. Ten seconds.
0: And that right there. You're in the middle of the world. which won the 2017 Oscar that year at the 89th Academy Awards. It's about a young African man who grapples with his identity and sexuality while experiencing the everyday struggles of childhood, adolescence, and burgeoning adulthood. Moonlight competed against the following movies. Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, and Manchester by the Sea. It was a stacked year, in my opinion, for a 2016 film. I mean... There was that huge debacle at the Academy Awards when we all thought La La Land won Best Picture. And for that brief minute in my lifetime, I was okay with it. I was, I love La La Land as well. I was really hoping Moonlight would win. A minute later, Moonlight won. I was very ecstatic. But of these lists of movies, there are a lot of strong films here. But I think Moonlight is a a deserved winner. And one of the best movies we've seen maybe in the last 50 years in terms of just the subject matter it deals with so beautifully dealing with a, a young african man who is struggling with his identity um it hits home for a lot of people i think and i think it just displays this really tragic story in, in the most beautiful and profound way I, i'm curious to know your moonlight thoughts
1: how much do you want me to say
0: I, I want you to say as much as your heart desires.
1: Well, more so, do you want me to reveal something about ooh, my list? Ooh.
0: Um, let's just stick with not your revelation of potential rank, but what are your thoughts on Moonlight?
1: I love it. This is a fantastic film. You know, you mentioned so much there. I think what's really fascinating is that it's a story basically between, you know, two young men and growing up in the three sections that they have it. The fact that you've got six actors who by all accounts uh, each section they they didn't meet each other they didn't base their performances off of each other but still these six actors managed to make the relationship work in every single segment and you believe it, they don't They don't quite look exactly like the actor that played them before, but that doesn't matter. It's about who they are as an essence. And the fact that Barry Jenkins was able to get that out of all six of these young men is phenomenal. And by the time you get to the final moment when, uh, Chiron is finally able to reveal his truth of who he is and looks like he might actually experience happiness for the first time in his life, real happiness. Like if that doesn't make you like a weepy mess of, of happiness and joy, I don't know what will perfectly set because you know, you
0: go through this movie you're watching it and the whole time you're watching, it, you just feel so bad for Chiron and for this, this child who's growing up in a, in a really hard home in a society and in, in a culture that clearly is not accepting of who he is. And he, although so young is very cognizant of it. He realizes early on kind of who he is and that he's not being accepted, and it's so so hard to watch it because the performances are great, but it's hard to watch because that's a reality for a lot of people out there and the fact that Barry Jenkins can weave this tale so flawlessly from you know childhood to teenagehood to adulthood um when you do get to that that ending, it is an emotional uh release for me i'm just i'm I'm very happy for the character because it's been such a roller coaster of a movie um yeah i, I really love moonlight and the more we're talking about it, i'm like is it did i put it at the right rank <laughs> i'm at number three <laughs> i still feel confident by my number two and one but um now i'm just thinking more about how much i love that movie and maybe it deserves a bump but we'll get to that in a second i'm sure yeah. what's
1: your number three pick for your top five well we're on to my number two now
0: oh we're on number two that's right we're flying through this what's yeah. your number two pick
1: <laughs> my number two is no country for old men the coen brothers film that finally won the best picture now this is based on a cormac mccarthy novel about violence and mayhem that Sue, after hunter stumbles upon a drug deal gone wrong and more than two million dollars in cash near the rio grande what's the most you ever lost on a coin toss sir the most you ever lost to us.
0: I don't know. I couldn't say.
1: Call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it.
0: Well, we need to know what we're calling it for here.
1: You need to call it. I can't call it for you. Well, it wouldn't be fair. I didn't put nothing up. Yes, you did
0: you've been putting it up your whole life you just didn't know it
1: this is you know we're talking about the departed with cat and mouse this is cat and mouse (laughs) and in in cop chasing after cat and mouse sort of thing you've got like literally one of the most iconic villain performances ever with Javier Bardem playing Anton Chigurh very rightfully one best supporting actor for this then of course you you've got Josh Brolin as Llewellyn Moss doing this you know, what you think is going to be this, you know, typical dumb redneck southerner type of Texan guy, but the... I rewatched it. When I rewatched it last time, I paid attention to him, and within the first five minutes, you know everything there is to know about this character. He scans his environment constantly. He's always, you know, figuring out where things are, what's the reason why something is. He's an expert tracker and a hunter, so when his confrontations with Shiger start coming up, it's not like this typical, you know, superhero action movie where suddenly your mild-mannered banker knows kung fu and is able to fight off an army of goons. (laughs) No, Llewellyn Moss... Like, is a very skilled person that knows how to handle, uh, basically, animals hunting. And that's what Anton Shakur is. Is an animal hunting him, unfortunately. But he knows what to do and how to do it and where he's safe and not safe and all this sort of little things. And, of course, you've got, like, Tommy Lee Jones basically narrating everything uh, as he's nearing retirement. His, like, old man philosophical ways, which is just fantastic Coen Brothers touch.
0: So, I mentioned earlier The Departed was one of the reasons that gave me struggle of my list. The next number 1 reason was definitely no country for old men, which I have left off my top 5. That may be oh. blasphemous, but let me give you the main reason why. And that's primarily because that was to me not the deserved winner that year. I am a you were there will be blood guy. I am a full-fledged and I will die on this hill there will be blood guy for the rest of my life. I am a huge fan of There Will Be Blood. To me it's a flawless film that I I I oddly can watch over and over and over again. I'm not really sure why. I'm a huge There Will Be Blood, There Will Be Blood guy. I am. So when No Country for Old Men won that year, I was I was it's a great movie. It is when you talk cat and mouse, I think of No Country for Old Men. It's one of the first movies I think of because it is that kind of movie through and through. Javier Bardem like you said, one of the most iconic villains of all time. I just can't get over the hump that I think There Will Be Blood is just a f- masterful film. Daniel Plainview and Daniel D. lewis as Daniel Plainview is one of the best characters of for me of modern cinema. I, I really love There Will Be Blood. So whenever I think of No Country for Old Men, all I think of is, damn, I
1: really wish There Will Be Blood were the one that year. So it's hard for me to put it in my top five. You're, you're not wrong. And you know, those are two. I would have been happy with either one. I am slightly more preferential towards No Country for Old Men, only ever so slightly. But yeah, if There Will Be Blood was the winner, that would probably be in my top five as well. It's just so excellent too. And the wildest thing is if you were to remove both of those movies, there would still be a worthy winner in this group, for me at least, and that would be Michael Clayton. I'm glad you brought that up because I feel
0: like there's a large, a large amount of people who just don't know about Michael Clayton. And I feel like I watched it, one of those movies, I turned it on because I just turned it on and ended up just falling in love with it. I just feel like there's a lot of people out there who either have never heard of Michael Clayton or they're just not a big fan of it. And I don't see why. I love Michael Clayton.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those movies that seem to have been like literally forgotten the weekend it came out. And I don't know why, because especially if you like legal thrillers, which is a pretty popular genre of film... It's one of the best, I would say, in that category. Um, I, I watched it when it came out and I loved it. I've always been a big champion of it. And my wife had never seen it. And so we watched it, I think, last year. And we watched it and she was like, this movie is amazing. I got to start telling everyone that they need to see Michael Clayton. <laughs> I think maybe the issue
0: is that it's called Michael Clayton. Not the most it's a terrible like, name. Yeah, not a really great title. It doesn't really capture you at all. Like No Country for Old Men or There Will Be Blood. It just michael clayton like who is that guy i don't know who that is what what is that so i think that might be partly the issue well we know you're number two my number two and I, i'm a little disappointed i haven't heard it on your list already so i'm really excited to talk about it but I know my number two is uh, lord of the rings return of the king
1: i see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me a day may come When the courage of men fails. When we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day.
0: Which was released in 2003. Won the Oscar in 2004. I guess I'll give a synopsis for those who don't know. Uh, (laughs) Gandalf and Aragorn lead the world of men against Sauron's army to draw his gaze from Frodo and Sam as they approach Mount Doom with the One Ring. Lord of the Rings competed against Lost in Translation, Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World, Mystic River, and Seabiscuit. All movies, by the way, I love. I love all those movies a lot. I, what is there to say about Return of the King that hasn't been said in the world? Um, the best finale to a trilogy of all time? Maybe. It's definitely up there, probably. I, I Maybe it's a thing where if you didn't grow up with Lord of the Rings or if you weren't a big fan of Fellowship to Two Towers, Return of the King was just Okay. But I don't think there's been a trilogy in our my lifetime, or have I seen previous in my lifetime, that really captures what how a trilogy should end, to finish off a really an epic story. And when I mentioned earlier about The Shape of Water and the fantastical and fantasy, this is the closest I think we've gotten to any type of fantasy movie ever winning Best Picture, and maybe we won't ever see a movie like this ever win Best Picture again, but... It was an event, and seeing it in theaters as a young teenager, it was a big deal. It was life-changing for me. Um, I've seen this movie in pieces 10 or 15 times, in whole, throughout the whole thing, maybe three or four times. It really is the conclusion to a trilogy that I don't think has ever been done before, and I think it's just done so masterfully and so beautifully. I'm not sure if we'll see that again, but it's not on your list, unless
1: it's number one, which I don't think it is. What are your thoughts on Return of the King? Well, Joe, first, I, you know, I just want to thank you for inviting me onto the show because this is probably going to be the last time that you're going to invite me back. Oh, no, um, no. Maybe I should revise my hot take about Parasite not being the best, best picture nominee from, from last year. And that's, uh, I have Return of the King tied for my fifth worst from the 2000s onward.
0: Oh, no, Dakota, Dakota,
1: Dakota. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear your hate for Return of the King or your dislike I for it. <clears throat> Oh, not hate, not hate. Okay, Um, okay. Not like. (laughs) this. Peter Jackson, what he managed to do with this trilogy is an absolute marvel. The fact that he was able to basically spend, what was it, almost three years filming these movies. The best way to do it, of getting everyone together all at once, do it all at once, bang it out that way, build entire cities up. The amount of special effects that they literally invented for this series— phenomenal literally if you want to talk about maybe the most influential movies of all time I would say the Lord of the Rings trilogy is up there for yep, everything that yep. they did for special effects for, for practical effects for set building for costume design everything like that'll not argue with that but as an actual movie I found like re-watching it recently I couldn't stop laughing through it <laughs> which part I'm so, so, which part are you laughing at oh several parts of it you know you had Mary writing uh, and like the back of a horse of other humans and i kept laughing about how he looks like a little child well uh, yeah that's fair or the when the army of the ghosts when they're summoning them that whole sequence i oh, can't stop laughing during so that awesome. love it <laughs> give it to me uh more, like, and more. <laughs> off the top of my memory that, that's what i could think of like okay, other okay. than ian mckellen I think he's the only one that actually really fits in the world. Everyone else just feels a little too over the top for me.
0: All right. All right. So if if you want to kick
1: me off the show right now, (laughs) I understand.
0: That's the end of our episode, everybody. Thanks, Dakota, for being on. (laughs) Uh, No, no, no. Everybody's entitled to an opinion. And, you know, you have a good, uh, you have reasons to back it up. And that's what matters. If you take Return of the King out of this running, I'm going to guess you're a Lawson Translation fan and that's your winner.
1: Oh, you you have a very good guess. That would be it with Mystic River just behind it.
0: Okay, that's fair. I lost some translation. This is tough because I look at Return of the King and maybe my nostalgia is speaking more and I'm super biased because of that. And that's that could be it for sure. Uh, lost in Translation is a, gosh, I could say a perfect movie. It is one of the best romance dramas I've ever seen. It continues to stand the test of time, in my opinion. I also love Mystic River a lot. I'm a big Sea Biscuit fan. I'll admit that as well. Uh, big fan of Seabiscuit and Master Commander. Pretty fun dad movie. It's uh, still enjoyable to watch. So I like all these movies a lot, but Return of the King just really hits my soft spot. So here we're at. We're at number one. I have a feeling I know what your number one is. But Dakota, tell the world I teased it. what your number one is. It's Moonlight. It is Moonlight. Okay, okay. So now I'm curious because you've told me how much you love Moonlight. You talked about why you love it. 2016 was a pretty stacked year. Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, Take out Moonlight. What's your next pick from
1: 2016? Super easy because it like beat Moonlight for my number one movie of the year. Literally by the skin of my teeth. I don't think it could be any closer. Hell or High Water. Oh, okay. Woo, you got me excited right now because I was like, maybe
0: he will say Arrival, which I am a huge Arrival fan huge La La Land fan. Hello High Water is my go-to recommendation to people who say they want to see a good movie, but they're not ready to go super dramatic or to think that. I always, always recommend
1: Hell or High Water. But I'm um, curious so to know good. more about your thoughts about Hello High Water now. It's so much fun. Like, you know, it, it's like you just said it's one of those movies that's easy to recommend to people. It's, you know, a heist movie. It's we've talked about this several times already. It's a bit of a cat and mouse movie as well. I think it's got some some great allegories for the financial crisis. Yeah. Handled it much yeah. better than than some other movies did, you know, right up there with The Big Short for me. In general, and then it just had two really great, really strong lead performances with uh with Chris Pine and uh and um Owen oh, Black and Ben Foster mm-hmm. as brothers. The two of them together are just so good and just so electric the intensity that they bring on the screen and the differences that you have them. We've got, you know, um, Ben Foster, who's just like live wire who literally like is the death of them basically. And then you've got Chris Pine, who's just so smart, intelligent, and so hyper focused on, we can only rob this much. We can only rob from these banks. This is how we're doing it. He's just so methodical with everything that he's doing. It's, I love watching movies where the criminal masterminds, are great at their jobs. Mm -hmm. And this is a movie where they're great at their jobs. And the fact that like you're rooting for them, like it's literally life or death situation for them of they're going to lose everything that they've ever owned because of this. If they don't go through with like stealing $2,000 at a time, basically from these small Texas Midland banks. Great, great setup.
0: And I like what you said about its allegory and its messages, you know, about the financial crisis that was going on around that time in the United States, because it plays a big part in why we kind of root for Chris Pine and his very, yeah, live wire, crazy brother, although he may be off the chain sometimes, but we're sitting there, we're rooting for them because we know that they've been wronged by big banks and what they've done by basically owning everything about them financially. So we sit here, although they're robbing the banks, we know their intentions are pure. We know what they're doing is to kind of, get back to normal just get back to a life where they can live without the worry that they're going to be foreclosed on or they're going to get shoved out of their house and you know be homeless so i i love hell or high water because it is a thriller heist on the surface with a lot of deep subtext and i I really do love hell or high water so
1: a surprising pick that i am very supportive of great and then you know Arrival would be literally right there between the two of those. Like, I I love that movie so much, too.
0: Yeah, Arrival is my favorite uh, Denis Villeneuve movie, I think. I say that with hesitance because I really love Sicario. And, I mean, he doesn't really miss in terms of his movies. But Arrival, I think, as well, is probably my favorite film from that that list of movies. Well, we know you're number one. I'm going to break it to you, Dakota. My number one is Parasite. 2019 winner, 2020 Oscar winner. Greed and class, discrimination, threatened the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. Parasite competed against Ford vs. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, it's hard for me to really elaborate on the greatness of Parasite I know you've uh, I'm ready for you but I will say that Parasite to me is a game changer I think in just cinema as a whole and the way people look at movies the first foreign film or international film to win best picture I think Parasite is not only an important movie in itself but for the film world it's an extremely important movie and it's I think open a lot of doors up to uh, international film to be on the main stage. Uh, I hope to see a lot more national films become more popular in households. Uh, I think *Parasite* has really paved that way. There's a lot of great international films before this movie. I'm not saying that there's not. I just think that *Parasite* was a movement, and it swept the award circuit. And when it got to the Oscars, a lot of people were worried about it. People were thinking it wasn't going to win. End up winning almost everything that it was nominated for. And I really think that the future is brighter because of its success. But that's just what the movie did. I'm curious to know your thoughts on Parasite,
1: but I'm more curious to know what your four alternate winners are. (laughs) You know, I guess I'll start with the four alternate winners. I could have gone any combination of 1917 Jojo Rabbit, Little Women, or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, with the Tarantino one being my favorite of the group. 2019 was an insane year, and I think all those movies you
0: mentioned, very, very good. But uh, go on.
1: It's interesting. I spent a lot of time, especially in the lead up to the Oscars of last year, where there was a lot of groundswell support for Parasite to win. Where I just, I felt like, am I like, what's wrong with me? What am I not seeing? <laughs> and so I rewatched it, and I, and I was just like, okay, yeah. When I walked out of the theater, I walked out remembering, I liked it. It was good but that's it. And so I've, I've spent a lot of time sort of wrestling where like, how can I be so wrong? Like, am I allowed to be this way? And so it's something (laughs) that I sort of really sort of struggled with because like every once in a while, there'll be a film that like comes out where you're just like, I don't understand why everyone is freaking out about it. I saw it and it's fine, but that's, that's about it. And I, and I don't know, I still don't know what it is. I think maybe it's just Bong Joon-ho as a whole. I've seen four of his movies. I've only seen Snowpiercer, Okja and The Host other than Parasite. Mm. I like them all. I don't love any of them. And so maybe it's just I'm not on Bong's wavelength. And that's the only thing I can think of because... Everything that you said about it, it's true. Like I would read reviews of this movie where, you know, it talks about the meticulous set design, the fantastic acting, the twists and turns, the way how it like shifts genres midway through and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, yep, I agree with all of that. And then I get to the very bottom and see five out of five stars and that would, and that would hold me up. I'd be like, but I don't agree with that how how can i agree with all of these praises but then get to the five out of five star and be like it's a three out of five for me
0: that is uh i that's a dilemma that i can't help you solve because i am one of those guys who put five out of five on my letterbox so i can't solve that dilemma for you although i would say you know the more i read about this movie because a lot has a lot has come out since its release about ranging from its, like you said, the meticulous set design and even as as specific as frames of shots and just the composition of certain shots and everything like that and how detailed everything is and everything is kind of done with a purpose. The story itself, I think, is uh, important. I think the idea of greed and class and the class discrimination, I think, is really important for people to be kind of aware of. And I think this movie does a very good job on not uh, not dumbing it down, but just making it more simple, making it people very aware of just some people are unfortunately are in poverty and no matter what they do, they can't get that stench off them. And that's quite literally in the movie. And there's just so many things like that, that I I, I learn something new about this movie every time I watch it, every time I read about it. And that's why, I think it's just so incredible because it's just layers and layers of subtext and meaning and there's just so much more of that movie that I'm sure I don't even know about and I'm excited to learn about. And so I think that's why it it tops my list of one of the best movies in the last 20 years. Um, And that's just aside from its influence that it will have in the future, you know. I don't know what's going to happen for Monday and what the nominations will come out, but I do think that Parasite has allowed other movies like it or other international movies to become the uh, more main stage in the Oscars. And I think that's a great thing.
1: I, I agree. And you know what? And I think this idea of, of, of international films finally maybe breaking through with, with North American audiences. I'm very excited for that. Yeah. And I think maybe, I'm not accusing you of this in any way, shape, or form, but I almost felt like a lot of the people that were really praising Parasite, it was almost like it was their first time watching a film not in English. And they were like almost blown away by this concept that like people that don't speak English can make great films. And I'm not using this to like paint a super broad brush of like everyone is like that. But like I just sort of felt where I'm just like, have have you not watched other, you know, films? There's lots of films that that switch genres that don't conform to what you would expect from a Hollywood movie and, you know, are both very darkly funny and get very darkly serious in the same film. Like, th- this isn't new. So I, I think that was just sort of something where I've kind of been trying to grapple with a bit as well. I think you make a really good point. And like you
0: said, we're not assuming anything about anybody, but I think it's very accurate to say that Parasite... Its mainstream success was an anomaly. It was kind of the first time we had seen such success from a international film, especially one from Korea, that has that really kind of swept North America. Um, so I think for a lot of people, this may have been their first international film that they that was really mind blowing. So maybe they were kind of swept up with that movement and its praise, although maybe well deserved, maybe a little bit embellished because people have only seen one or two movies and Parasite's one of them. I think that's a perfectly fine statement to make. Cause I think that's probably accurate, but ultimately will that, I hope that opens the doors for people to then say, well, if Parasite is this great and it's international, what a, have I been missing out on the last 20, 50 years? You know, can I explore mm-hmm. Korean mm-hmm. film more and find the handmaiden and, and uh old boy and other bong movies oh. and other Park Chan-wook movies you know, they just stem out to other genres and other other countries and realize that, like you said, there are hundreds of great international movies out there that are maybe just as good as Parasite. But I think that uh, it's important to at least acknowledge that maybe Parasite has opened that gateway for people to explore it more
1: yeah and and I'm so happy that Bong Joon-ho won like if you if there's anyone in Hollywood or in the cinema world that you can root for Bong Joon-ho is definitely someone you can root for. <laughs> I 100% agree he's everything I've seen with him he's seems
0: like a really humble and appreciative guy um, he himself seems surprised by all the success the movie garnered um, and there's definitely somebody that's easy to root for uh, I definitely recommend Memories of Murder to you There's a lot of people out there who say that's really his best film. I'm still on the Parasite train, but Memories of Murder is very, very good. And I know you, you're a big Zodiac fan. So you will definitely, definitely like Memories of Murder. Highly, highly recommended to you.
1: It it is on my eventual to watch list. As as I'm sure you are the same way with your jar of several hundred movies. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's just you, there's never enough time to watch everything, and there's always every time you, you cross one off your list, there's twenty more that get added into it. Yeah, exactly. that's unfortunate reality of our situation.
0: Especially you know, I, I'm getting a little older. I'm in my I'm thirty now, turning thirty one soon. You know, if it hits ten o'clock, I'm like, wow, it's way too late to start a movie right now. I, I cannot do it. <laughs> But um, we've reached our top
1: five. So to recap, go ahead and read your top five role very quickly. Sure. It was 12 Years a Slave, The Departed, Spotlight, No Country for Old Men, and Moonlight is my number one.
0: And my top five was Shape of Water, 12 Years a Slave, Moonlight, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and Parasite. Any quick shout outs, any honorable mentions you have that just didn't make the list that you want to do a quick shout out to?
1: Yeah, sure. I think my, my next two follow ups would probably have been Argo, another movie that often gets very easily dismissed in Chicago, a movie that was probably one of the only best picture winners I hadn't seen until I was doing my decade by decade rankings. And it's literally my wife's favorite movie. and so She was <laughs> so excited for me to finally watch it and she was so prepared for me to hate it and we turned it off I was like that movie was excellent yeah I love Chicago it's a fun movie it's a really fun movie it's also I'm not a big musical guy but I was really impressed with it
0: yeah I enjoyed that one a lot and same with me my girlfriend loves Chicago and it's one of those things she'll turn on and like I'm fine I'm totally down with this let's watch it Um, (laughs) I think my one shout out although probably not anywhere near my top five or top ten But I have a soft spot for Slumdog Millionaire. I know it's not the greatest thing of all time, but it is one of the movies that has one best picture that I've seen way too many times in bits and pieces. I just really enjoy the feel-goodness of it. A little cheesy, but nonetheless, I really enjoy it. So we have reached the end of our top five. My last thing I want to ask you, Dakota, with the nominations coming on Monday the 15th, what's your... Personal choice for Best
1: Picture versus what do you think will win Best Picture this year? Ooh, ooh, okay. Those are are two very interesting things. Uh, I think right now my personal choice would probably be Minari. Oh, Uh, same wavelength right here. Same wavelength. Okay. Good. I only just caught up with it last week. And so it missed my cut when I did my my best films of the year list. I did a, a whole podcast episode about that. And that was like my biggest regret, not being able to see it. Finally watched it. It is every bit as deserving of the praise as everyone else is giving it. And I love it. As far as what I think is probably going to be the front runner, it very likely looks to be Land, a movie I really did enjoy and made my, my top five as well, if I'm remembering correctly. Um... Yeah, I, I think that's probably going to win, although things could be changing a little bit. Minari's been gaining a whole bunch of steam as well. Uh, can't count out The Trial of the Chicago 7 as well. I think it's probably going to come down to one of those three films, though.
0: Yeah, those are great picks. I think for me, personally, if I could pick it right now, it'd be Minari. Uh, like you, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Just fantastic movie that I can't recommend enough. Um if i if i were to pick one that i think is going to win uh i'm also it's looking like Lands might take it which i'm fine with as well a, a beautiful movie that um, everybody should be watching since it's available on hulu but there are a lot of movies out there that i don't think we should count out like you said trial of chicago 7 uh who knows where mank will fall in all of this and and promising young woman you know there's a lot of a lot of x factors out there that i think we uh, might get surprised so we'll, i guess we'll see uh, but Dakota, I, I want to thank you for being on. I-, I had a lot of fun talking about our top fives, even if uh, Return of the King is on your bottom five of uh, <laughs> Best Picture winners. Um, you are eloquent and knowledgeable, as always. Uh, tell everybody where they can
1: find your show and listen to your show. Well, you can follow the show Pod on Twitter, on Instagram. Those are the two best places to do it, at ContraZoomPod, C-O-N-T-R-A, D O O M P O D exactly how you think it is. And we're doing tons of great Oscar stuff coming up. We're going to have a, a Oscar nomination reactions and there's going to be a whole swath of content. And hopefully you're going to come back on to do that as well. And we could talk some Oscar stuff as well. That'll be excellent. And uh, I really hope that I'm not blacklisted from the show. Cause I'd love to be able to be on with Ren as well. <laughs> Never blacklisted. You come with a lot of great talking
0: points and always fun. So you will definitely be on in the future. Uh, Make sure to check out the ContraZoom podcast. Like Dakota said, some really great content. And with the Oscar season coming out, um, you definitely want to give a follow and listen to all the stuff that's going to be coming out and available to you. Uh, We will be back next week, or I will be back next week with... um, I'm not even sure yet, but I'll be back next week with a movie. So continue to follow us on uh, social media, at House of Cinema, on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And uh, I'll be back next week. Thank you.